everybody. Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Zach. And I'm Seth. And I'm Theo. And we're the Classic Gaming Brothers. And Theo. And Theo. That's right. So, uh, as as everyone is aware who's listening, we do have a guest on our show today. What? Uh, it is Theo, who, <laughs> yes, he just, he literally just introduced himself. <laughs> Sorry, I was, the green room, by the way, fantastic. The fruit basket that you provided. Thank you. The open bar. Thank just, you. Just, I've... I've been on many, many podcasts. I've never seen a green room quite like this yes, one. Seth said, don't spend all the money on the bar. But I said, that's exactly what I'm going to do. The mariachi band is what got that's, me. Like, you know, I wouldn't have even thought of that. I, I, I want to make sure impeccable. that our guests have the best. I'm, I'm well hydrated and um, very entertained and ready, ready to get going and talk about some video games. That's excellent. That's excellent. A good. Perfect. And Theo joins us from his YouTube channel, The Gallant Goblin, and where he does unboxings of Dungeons & Dragons related products and reviews of said Dungeons & Dragons related products that are probably the most in-depth on YouTube, to be, to be honest. And they are extremely well annotated which is my favorite part of the gallant goblin is that like every moment of the video is annotated so i know exactly where i need to go to and it's probably the best created like all of the youtube videos that i've witnessed the gallant goblins are the most methodically created in my opinion straight up i appreciate that that is a hundred percent grady my partner does that part of it and he has a personality where we he and i both everything needs to be organized we don't want to waste anybody's time and so if you want to watch just this one figure being reviewed and all you care about is that no more warlock like you will know exactly where to click to hear that no warlock information and see everything you need to know about that no warlock and you can get out and go live your life and you'll be that's, good to go that's excellent yeah give all my love to grady then <laughs> I'll, I'll do that yeah i'll do that it's great so if you're interested in dungeons and dragons related content and uh, or other like pathfinder and starfinder, starfinder yeah you should check out the gallant goblin uh give them a subscription and like and we will do some additional plugging at the end of the segment as yeah. well but let's get into the episode as it were as the ritual dictates as our guest theo what have you been most recently been playing oh gosh i didn't know that went first <laughs> Well, <laughs> as I was telling you a little bit before we got started, uh, after I was coming out of the green room trying to get over the mariachi band, I'm in the process of moving recently, so I haven't had a lot of time besides playing really terrible iPhone games that are just money grabs. Um, but one of the games that I got into more recently that I've been wanting to play for ages and just was waiting and waiting and waiting was No Man's Sky by Hello Games, which I'm oh, sure nice. you all have, have dabbled into. Yeah. And I think my taste in games has changed so much over the years. And I've somehow come around to the idea of not the survival games exactly, but the games where you're building something and constructing something, making kind of an engine for yourself. It may have come from some of my, the, my board games that I've really enjoyed playing, where you're kind of building up an engine and making things efficient. And that game where you can just go out there at your leisure, play at your own pace, and just go collect things, build things, improve things, make things better, make things prettier. Um, and that game is super pretty, if nothing else. It's a beautiful, gorgeous game and yeah. on every platform imaginable. And it's been out for five years now, yeah, almost five yeah. years. And um, I don't know what y'all's experience with it is. I, I enjoyed it, the procedural generated nature of it and the sort of lack of a 
strong narrative kind of makes it have a limited shelf life for me. Like I can play it for so long, but I really like that story or the character or some yeah. some emotion. Like if I had, yeah, yeah. like yeah, if the people who lived in my base actually had a personality or interacted with each other, I'd be much more on board. If you ever played, I don't know how this segment goes necessarily, like the old um, what were those games called Starflight games back in like <laughs> the forties, um, Starflight, Starflight Two, Star Control Two, okay. all those games. Where you had these are ancient games. Yeah. Y'all are too young for this. You you have a little starship and you build it out and you get you collect crew members and you can name them and they kinda had personalities as much as you could have a personality in a video game in nineteen ninety one. But it was great. And so that's kind of yeah, kind of what brought me back to yeah. this, kinda of going back full circle. Awesome. I have you played it in VR? No, that sounds good though. <laughs> it, it's very good. So I played it in VR with my buddy. Uh, I have a HTC Vive and as people who are dedicated to listening would know that I play in a room that is not sized for VR um, and I cheated the space with putting my hand in places where it shouldn't go to be able to extend the VR play space out and have injured myself while playing VR games more than once and No Man's Sky was one of the games that I was playing where I have injured myself by moving things around. I did enjoy though that when you fly the ship you sit down for it which means that I not going to injure myself so it's always safe bet when i'm sitting down that i can not uh, punch my hand into a bookcase or something like that but i enjoyed no man's sky when i play with friends i'm very similar mindset when it comes to like a single player story a uh, single player experience i really like to have like a real strong heavy story because i i guess as i am now i feel like my time is more valuable to me and i really want that time to be filled with a story versus like a grind even if that grind is enjoyable I'd still rather have like the story nine times out of ten. But when playing games with a friend, it's always a little different. And No Man's Sky, I, I had a I had a pretty fun time playing with my friend. I'm also not a very adept player of video games. We're bad at video games, is what Seth's trying to say. Yeah, we have a video game oh, podcast. Yeah. But it doesn't mean we're good at video games. <laughs> Mm. No, yeah, the opposite. Nobody wants to listen to somebody who's good at podcasts. Right, yeah, That yeah, just yeah, makes yeah. them feel bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're not good at either video games or podcasts. <laughs> but, but we, uh, so it was fun. I, I enjoyed my experience with that. I've been meaning to get it back, but I've actually collapsed my VR setup while I've been working from home. So it just takes up a lot of space. There was, oh, I did read an article recently about No Man's Sky, though, that uh, I think you would enjoy they they found a planet that was entirely beige and it was just it was apparently the most boring planet in the galaxy and everything was brown it just was they were like they're like we don't know why this exists but when landing it was like going into kansas and like the wizards of oz it's just like oh and everything is just gray and dreary i was like that's amazing i want to go to the just like the doldrum planet oh yes that is the thing about no man's sky too is that once you play and you realize like oh all the same kind of buildings are on each planet the same kind of landmarks and there's really no real discovery i don't i don't feel like too much at least in the time i played it you know they all have the kind of a flavor there's an ice planet and you know a desert planet yeah it's it's all a bit repetitive i think i i've learned that i don't like the procedurally generated games as much as i like games that are like have a real map like this starflight yeah we'll have to come back and do an episode about starflight and you all need to play this game (laughs) but starflight had a a full map that was prepared for it that had a story that kind of went around the galaxy there's different uh alien races that own different sectors and whatnot and but it was not procedurally procedurally generated it was all planned out and i dig that that's what i like yeah i agree i i'm i'm 
I'm a big fan of handcrafted versus procedural, like the machine created. Um, I mean, eventually machines will become smart enough where it will feel like it's handcrafted, but that technology is not here. Zach, do you want to take it away for what you've been recently been playing? Yeah, so I've been playing a game that is um, kind of more in line with having a heavy story and being more of a story-based game, and that is uh, Control, released in 2019. It was developed by Remedy Entertainment and published by 505 Games. It is, as of the recording and the release of this episode, free on PS Plus. So if you have PS Plus, it's free for the month of February. Um, it's a third-person kind of horror action game, I would call it. You play as this woman who ends up at a mysterious place called the Federal Bureau of Control, and you find a cool gun. And when you find that cool gun, it makes you the new director of the Federal Bureau of Control. Because <laughs> how, who holds the gun works. holds control? I guess yeah and it's just about like there's this weird anomaly that's occurring at the at the bureau and you have to kind of figure out what's going on I'm really enjoying it it's also apparently based on the SCP foundation which is this like community run creepypasta repository that is set in like this heavily bureaucratic setting of like people going through the bureaucracy of organizing how to contain anomalies so it's heavily inspired by that which is fun because I'm a fan of the SCP foundation as a concept so it's kind of cool to be in a video game setting of it is that the that's the internet website where they like document all the creepypasta yeah pretty much yeah so they they i have a story about that (laughs) i mean we're here for stories so in my day job or at least my previous day job um i was a school psychologist uh, so helping kiddos who might have disabilities in special education. And some of the kiddos we would deal with, especially when it gets to middle school, intermediate school, I had one kiddo, and this is not a great story, but I had one kiddo who was really deep into creepypasta. But oh. I, had, I had never even heard of this before. Yeah. If you've never heard of creepypasta, maybe you all can give a better definition than I can. But it's urban legends that are... Yeah, yeah. It's basically just urban legends, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, it's modern. They urban generally legends. like originate like uh, 4chan or something. Like yeah, that, yeah, right? yeah. Or and he referred me to this website. He could, I think, he had a little of a little bit of autism going on as well. But he could cite each of the articles and each of the in this SCP Foundation website with the number of the anomaly, and he would talk about it. Uh, I think he thought they were all real. Oh. And so that made it problematic. But I was very much exposed to that from trying to help this kiddo break away from some of the the control nature of that. So it is a thing that's out there that uh, I don't think a lot of people are aware of. I wasn't aware of it. It's a really neat website in the sense that it is heavily community driven. So every story is written usually by an individual. And then that is further elaborated on and edited by other individuals. And it's also mostly an anonymous sort of platform so you really don't know who's going to take your story and turn it into something entirely new and it spawned a lot of video games that directly pull from the lore so there's like scp containment breach on steam or there's another one where it's based on like walking down a stairwell and then something spooky happens but that's like one of the stories but this is like the first one that actually like takes the idea of the foundation just this place of bureaucracy that apparently is the source of where these anomalies are able to be controlled or contained and turns it into something so it's definitely worth giving uh, a shot especially if you have ps plus as it is free until the uh the wednesday following this episode <laughs> so <laughs> if, if you download it now it's yours to keep if you have ps plus so but if you listen to this episode in the future it's probably not free anymore probably not free anymore usually it's not that expensive though it's it's usually on sale 
Yeah, I think Steam was running it for 50% off. I almost picked it up and then I remembered that I had a um, very extensive Steam backlog that I really need to work on. And uh, I really shouldn't. I've been trying to stop buying video games, which is a problem of mine. Uh, Speaking of video games... (laughs) Uh, so recently I've been playing Ravenloft Stone Prophet, which is a video game that, whoa, we talked about in episode 62. I won't go too far into it since we dedicated an entire episode to most of it. And it is a, a game that was developed by Entertainment with an I and published by good old SSI, Strategic Simulation Incorporated, who used to do all the D&D stuff. And I picked it up. I really just started playing it again because we talked about it. And I was like, I really should beat that and uh i still haven't beaten it i probably put another couple like four hours into it it's a long game and it's also incredibly tough it doesn't it just sets you up for just failure which i mean it's a ravenloft game so i'm not really expecting anything different ravenloft is notoriously horror and tough i did get to the part where i have finally kicked piotro out of my group and i've recruited raktor the lemmick who is part man part lion which is much better than a centaur and so my and i'm playing I have a dwarf named Dwarg, which is great. His D-W-A-R-G. And I only remember... So, fun story about the dwarf named Dwarg is I have named a lot of people Dwarg in my entire life of D&D. Many characters have been named Dwarg. Most of them have been dwarves. And I chose that name because of an old choose-your-own-adventure book that was released way back in the day where the main character was this guy named Lionel. And it was like one of those old, like, weird color flip books that were like, maybe like yay high yay wide and there was a dwarf in that book and his name was dwarg and so i chose his name i only probably just realized like a year ago that it was just dwarf with a g but <laughs> it's probably a typo it's probably a typo yeah that's point. literally <laughs> the f is the, the next to the g <laughs> yeah yeah so that's my life story about the name dwarg and i have a character uh elf Elven fighter mate. Dwarg is a cleric, and then he has an elf. There's an elf named Riley, who is a lady who's wearing a mask because it's COVID time. Um, and uh, Trajan Kent. That's my party, as it were. And uh, it's good. We're at the part of the game that's like the middle, I guess. Uh, it's called the Obelisk. And I have to descend through this three floor dungeon to get to the end to go to the top again to find a bunch of pieces of this seal to then prevent Octopot from rising or help him rise. I haven't figured out that rest of that part out, yet, yeah. but... It sounds yeah. like a Dungeons & Dragons game, it does. <laughs> it's definitely a Dungeons & Dragons <laughs> game. It's got a really bad inventory management system, and I mentioned this in the Ravenloft episode, but I'll mention this again for Theo's benefit. The characters are in four panels, so you have two characters and then two characters, right? So there's and the two characters on the side panels are technically in the back of the group. Kind of like how Grimrock does it as well, I think, where there's like two people in the back. Grimrock's like a dungeon crawler game. It's pretty cool. And the Wemmick, who is Raktor, he has to wield a long weapon to hit from the back, as well as Trajan Kent. So Trajan Kent's got this big staff. The Wemmick has a spear. But once he throws the spear, he is now unarmed. And cannot do any damage because his fists do not reach the front. So then, but if I put him to the front, then the people who do the most damage, my rogue mage and my fighter cleric, they don't have reach weapons either. So I'm just really just like struggling through (laughs) this part and getting besieged by man scorpions, which are part man, part scorpion, as the name might imply. But people Um, don't realize that in the Ravenloft setting that you're not allowed, you can only walk two by two. 
That's, that's the only option. <laughs> just everyone has to go two by two, and that's just the it's way like, it is in this like universe. Right, and Tuscan Raiders. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, well, it was really it was a cultural choice. I'm sure, there's some religious significance behind it with Tatiana or something, but so uh, this particular episode is actually a very important episode to me personally, and I would also say Theo, since we were discussing having Theo on the show and we were talking about games to talk about, and we thought that this would be a fun episode to talk about it. And we were going to talk about Baldur's Gate. And I think most of the content is going to be uh, around the Baldur's Gate PC games that came out in the 90s. Well, pretty much at the end of the 90s and the beginning of the 2000s, also known as the Ball Spawn series. Not to be confused with the Dark Alliance series, um, which is an entirely different type of game. So we'll talk a little bit about Baldur's Gate. We'll talk a little about Baldur's Gate 2. And then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll talk about some of the other tangential Baldur's Gates and talk a little bit about Baldur's Gate 3, which is a new game that is coming out. So, Theo, what are your memories behind the Baldur's Gate? It could be the original Baldur's Gate. It could be that whole thing. What? What? what tell us about your your life. So yeah, what Baldur's Gate came out in 1998, which was a year I graduated Correct. from high school. It feels to me like it came out before that. I don't know why. I can just. I don't have specific memories of playing the original Baldur's Gate, but I know I did because I got hooked and played almost every other iteration of that type of game after that. And I'm sure it was my first exposure to Dungeons & Dragons because I did not play real D&D until much, much later in life. But I I, I remember... I. I it's one of those things where it feels like you were in middle school. It feels like you were 12, 13 when you're having these formative experiences. And then you really go back and look like, no, I was apparently 18. But it was the first real game, I think, that I had ever played where you you have the, the party that's made up of like the rogue and the fighter and the mage. And you can mix and match from different party members. And they all have different personalities and these fantastical races. And you grow and develop over time. This whole concept that is so ubiquitous now. I think this was my first probably real exposure to that um the party-based rpg computer rpg and i played it all the way to the end of course and baldur's gate 2 and then i start to remember more about like the icewind dale franchise Mm, and especially when you get on to some of the later ones but it clearly had an impact on me because that's the type of game and entertainment that really sank into my heart and led me down the path to where i am today where i'm really heavily involved in dungeons and dragons and Even though my my memories of that particular game aren't as strong right now, I do know that's where that origin, that seed lies. Do you feel that? So we 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 do tabletop role playing. Um, it's important to our daily life. What got you into tabletop role playing? Do you feel like it was because of your experience with computer role playing games that led you into naturally transitioning to like tabletop role playing games? Or because you said you got tabletop role playing games later in life, how did you pick up tabletop role playing games as like a, a, a obvious passion, <laughs> being that you c- create a channel around figures for it? <laughs> I do think that the Baldur's Gate franchise primed me to be ready for it. I just never had anyone in my life who played, and you know, a lot of us get into it because maybe older siblings or someone might have brought us mm-hmm. into it, or just friends growing up. And I just never had that. Uh, the first time I ever played was when I was living in Japan uh, in the late 2000s. And my 
friend Andy wanted to DM a game for us. And I think that I just didn't understand what playing Dungeons and Dragons was. Like, what did a game look like? Nobody could really explain it to me. And we didn't have Critical Role to look at to, to like, just right. go look at this YouTube channel and you understand it. We didn't have that at the time. At least anything, to my knowledge, like that. And so he tried to sit down and, God bless him, he did his best to try to explain it to us. And I think that we just had, you know, we got obsessed with, like, an NPC and just played around and we didn't really follow his story because we really didn't know what we were doing. But I'm happy to say that he is now in my ongoing Humblewood game that I have going on, oh, which nice. is a great little universe. So he has, he doesn't hate me forever for ruining that, but he's the one who introduced me to it. And then I only played once or twice there, but a couple years later, I actually got into it from watching Harmon Quest, which uh, oh, I hope that you yeah. all have seen. Yeah, I've seen Harmon Quest. Dan Harmon, who created Rick and Morty and Community, had a little series or has a little series where he plays Dungeons and Dragons. And uh, they animate it. And it's a fantastic little uh, short. It's like three seasons right now. Uh, And they have a great... a great DM who they brought in from, I think, this sort of the audience of their ongoing other projects. And they have guest stars every week that are fantastic. And I watched that and like, oh, that's what Dungeons and Dragons is. I think having it animated certainly helps as well. And then I went from that to Critical Role. So I'm one of those people who came in in this resurgence, right? Who came in right, with right. Yeah. Critical Role in that kind of era. So I've only been involved in the hobby for probably three-ish years at this point. So you're, you're a fan of the resurgence, as it were? Uh, yes. <laughs> that's all I've ever known. That's yeah that's just me uh and so i think a lot of us came into the hobby at this point and when i look at the comment section of my channel it's definitely a mixture of people who um have been involved in it since first edition and then people who came in with critical role maybe just a couple of years ago like i did or similar games out there critical Role is not the only one uh but it certainly has a lot of influence and then there's people who i somehow just stumble on the channel and they're like i've never gotten to play before um, how do I get started playing and who are just like the newest generation ready to get started? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's fun. When I was a child, I was dropped off at a comic book store. That's how instead of so my father brought me to like T-ball and karate places and I wouldn't leave the car. I just wouldn't I refused to participate. And I was just <laughs> like, oh, I'm not doing this crap. And so he finally was just like, well, I guess I'll just bring him to a comic book store. And he brought me to a comic book store and he's like, hey, my son has these books that he bought at the library for 25 cents like the expert rules could he play Dungeons and Dragons with people and so (laughs) that I was just left at a comic book store we actually played in a church of all places now it was next to the comic book store because the comic book store was very small and I played with like six strangers that uh, I played with probably for about six years every week with these same group of strangers who eventually became my friends right i'm seeing these people every sunday for four hours and uh, it was good we actually went through uh the entire temple of elemental evil that is a very long campaign uh we went through that and we went through uh a night below which is a another very long campaign um so they were very fun do you remember your first uh character that you made i have not made many characters because i am always the game master Oh, that's sad. Gosh, my first player character. You know what it was. The first time I... Besides, oh, well, I played with Andy's game, and I don't really remember that much about that game. I think the first time I really played as a... Knowing what I was doing was... uh, Do you know know who James Hake is? James Hake 
is uh, was a writer for uh, Wizards of the Coast who makes Dungeons and Dragons. He was the head writer for a couple of adventures like uh, what is it, Waterdeep Dragon Heist, and a couple of the other official adventures. He was most recently the head writer for D and D Beyond, which is a fantastic computer resource to manage your character and everything. And he did a little fundraiser, and I pitched in enough so I could play in one of his games. And so, oh, fun! I made this very overweight dwarf. I think he was. A fighter. I'm not. I don't remember anymore. He was a cook. He was a fighter. He had a huge family. Uh, lots of kids. And um, that was my my first character. I, I can't remember his name off the top of my head to go look. He was great. He was fantastic. All right. My first character was a thief. Well, rogue. And he his first lines spoken. My first role playing lines, as it were, spoken were, "Hey, I'm a thief." <laughs> and i found the party in a dungeon and i had a uh, seven strength so i had the the joy of doing uh, all of one damage on a crit (laughs) they didn't have the finesse weapons or whatever that you could use your dexterity no oh no 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 yeah third edition was all strength strength based for melee damage so even with my rapier i would hit with dex but then all my damage was still based on strength i had a seven strength i rolled two ones We were fighting a troll. I was then murdered. He died 13 times, that character, before I decided to put him down for good. <laughs> it's the troll that's supposed to regenerate, not the player character. Yes. Before we get into our memories, I did want to ask, so when we, we had a, a guest on for episode 45, Mike Case, who does toy reviews, more of those uh, bring people on to talk about things that aren't their jobs, as it were, and... Uh, we we did an episode entirely on JRPGs with him. And so I was wondering, kind of like, so Baldur's Gate and the series that's Icewind Dale and Planescape Torment, those are all decidedly WRPGs or Western RPGs. And they're, I would say, vastly different between a JRPG and a WRPG. Do you feel, what, what are your opinions on JRPG? And do you feel like, do you feel, do you just have a more personal attachment to WRPGs? And and like what can you back up that kind of reasoning do i have evidence to support it um, <laughs> evidence to support please present to the judge i know i it's interesting because i lived in japan for five years um where i first played dungeons and dragons and i do remember as a child like really enjoying playing final fantasy 7 VII and 8 i remember when i subscribed to nintendo power for the very first time they sent me a free game it was Dragon Quest, I think it was. Yeah, I think that's the. One. I think that's the one. I could be wrong, um, but I really dug those and I had a lot of fun with them. And I hadn't really played any JRPGs in a long time, and I kept hearing about Persona Five mm, right. and seeing pictures and seeing how interesting it was. And so when I finally got a PlayStation Four, like two years ago, just in time for the new one, right. <laughs> uh, I picked up Persona 5 and I was so excited and oh my God, I don't like it. Oh no. Um, <laughs> I, it's, I think it's part of that, my attention span is so short now and Persona 5 is so drawn out. Like it takes, it felt like it took forever to get into anything involved in that game. Like just the introduction just was like two hours. I'm like, I can't, I can't do this. I just, it's nothing wrong with the game necessarily. I think it's, it's not you, it's me. (laughs) It's just just like my attention span is so short and I have so much to do that if a game doesn't jump right into it and let me do what I want to do and get in and get out, then I lose patience with it. And I can see the, the hope there and 
and and the fun that exists in that universe and i just can't access it because i just don't have the time these days and so i think that it's going to be hard for me to get back into a jrpg again because they are such investments in time i don't know if they have any quick ones anymore so i have a lot of nostalgia and love for them but just the way they're designed to be played for 30 40 hours I play Pokemon, Pokemon Go when everybody else did. If that counts. That's like a only, JRPG. Yeah, that's the only Pokemon I've ever played. That's sort of just the J. I think you're not. You don't have the RPG part. <laughs> but um, I have the love. I just don't have the time anymore. Right. Yeah. It's. I definitely feel that it's hard, especially to dedicate time to like a backlog, as it were, to play games that you're like, I need to play this game, but now it makes me feel like work, and like it's just like you're like, I need to enjoy this, and you just like want to check it off and be done with it. It is satisfying though to check one of those games off to be like completed with. I just recently got through a Broken Sword series of games, and I was just like, done. All right, move on. <laughs> Next I mean, it's good, but I'm the person who like has a to do list, and if I do something that I've forgotten to put on the list, I write it on the list after I've done it, just so I can cross it off. Yeah, and so right. that's the most satisfying thing about getting through some of these games uh, right. <laughs> is being able to say I did it. <laughs> so to cut back to um, a little segue from a little segue with the interview there, but uh, uh, we'll go to my memory since it's an important game to me. So I got Baldur's Gate two first. Before I got any of the other series of per games. the tradition of our uh, family, Baldur's Gate. We always buy. We always we get had, sequels. Yeah, we had Sonic Two first. We had like Mario Three before we had Mario One. We had it's just, uh, Jungle Strike before Jungle Desert Strike. Strike. Before Desert Strike. <laughs> Ravenloft the Stone Prophet before before Strahd's Possession. Like... So Baldur's, I remember going to probably Ames or Kmart to get the video game. They had a PC section. And I remember the Baldur's Gate games were, they were the big, big box games. And where they just had so much content to it. And something about Baldur's Gate 2 spoke to me. And I was allowed to purchase one video game with my mother because Baldur's Gate came out when I was still in. So I'm a little younger than you Theo rub it in <laughs> so i was in middle school when it happened so i was still on an allocated amount of money so i picked that up and i definitely remember playing at least a year or two of it in middle school so i definitely bought it when it was new because i had a friend who bought it and i would call him on the telephone and we would talk on the phone at the same time of playing Baldur's gate 2 together but not in the same party just we would talk about different strategies or we would talk about how, where we were in the game or like what characters we wanted to make in Baldur's Gate 2 without actually playing it over because I don't I think it was too complicated for us to even go over like TCIP or whatever the networking was back then we were just children really and I just fell in love with the game the story and the world I did I believe already possess a kind of D&D and Baldur's Gate kind of came around at the same point in time for me in my life and I think that really together they really helped kind of drive that in that fantasy love into me but it didn't it also like our father read the hobbit to us as children mm, yeah. so like we were in good company and my dad played D when he was in college uh but so that all that kind of coalesced together and so Baldur's gate specifically Baldur's gate 2 to me was probably like the perfect story and the perfect type of game that i don't think i encountered that type of like whoa love for a game until mass effect came out where i could put like oh 40 hours in one character 
easy and then be like, oh, make another character immediately after beating the game because I want to see something different and do another 40 hours. Because like Baldur's Gate 2 had like all the strongholds that you could get, like the keep and the wizard's globe and the ranger's hut and i i think i've seen every single one of those strongholds in the game because i've spent so much time playing it on on top of like just the you could go evil you could be good you could have a whole different party because as you mentioned like the npcs that you recruit on the way have have such detailed personalities and even like interlinking themselves with them talking to each other is just like you, you're like okay i would play the game to be like i need to recruit this person and i need to recruit this person and i need to travel for this amount of time so i can see this conversation happen between them or something like that because at some point in time corgan's gonna kill mazzy and i want to see them that like that particular stuff happen and so for like Baldur's gate is to me a very it's also a very protected property as you can probably see so like with larian taking on Baldur's gate 3 and what they've produced so far i'm we'll have words at the end of the show <laughs> about that but i i do and probably one of the, the biggest critics that they need to impress as it were in regards to like what they're putting out because of what Baldur's gate 2 did to me um in regards to building me to be the person who i am where Baldur's gate 1 i only beat recently as an adult because the story was it's just not it doesn't it's not as tight and without that tightness of a story it kind of gets a little meandering but and, and then it's just like ugh. but so yeah speaking of this character who came out of that game i think that the most lasting characters who came out are probably men's boo right oh absolutely yeah. the, and they're fantastic it's is a human ranger i think it's human right mm-hmm. is, and boo yes. is his yeah. uh, giant mini- miniature space hamster <laughs> correct and thinking about them i had I, I for some reason hadn't made that connection until in my head thinking about the game for a little while um and there's also a series of comic books that are still working on oh, i'm forgetting the fella's name who writes the comic books even though he sends them to us and grady reviews them on our website <laughs> but there's a fantastic little series of comic books that are still like this is a narrative that's been going on for what 30 20 30 years now yeah, yeah absolutely uh, one other thing i was going to mention is that we were talking about Critical Role earlier at D and D Live just a couple of years ago. I have I was got to be there in person. Um, they had uh, Matt Mercer, who is the game master. He played a character from Baldur's Gate in one of the live oh, cool. games there. Um, we, oh we, yeah, yeah. He he's because he does a lot of the voice work. They were doing just a live game uh, separate from Baldur's Gate, but he played a character from Baldur's Gate in that live game. And I was wondering if you could guess which character he played. He played one of the NPCs from that from Baldur's Gate. He played Boo. Oh, he played. <laughs> That's funny. It was fantastic. If you ever get a chance to look it up. Oh, it was so funny. But anyway, I digress. Minska, he's a, there actually is a berserker kit that I think you can play in the game. Actually, I don't know if you can, he has the ability to berserk, but he might be just a straight ranger actually. Cause I'm trying to remember in the game, there was a berserker kit, but I think the berserker kick fell up under fighter and he wasn't a fighter berserker. He was a ranger that just had the berserk ability and he would just sometimes just go wild and just start killing party members. So then if he was your strongest frontline fighter, if you raged him and he ran out of targets, he could kill your, he could just wipe your party. And that game was, that game was tough. Like that game was not, it's not a easy game for sure. Like I feel like a lot of games that come out now, especially like even like Baldur's Gate 3, comparing back to like Baldur's Gate 2, Baldur's Gate 2 will kill you in the intro dungeon. Like <laughs> they, they, they don't care. Like and if your main character dies, the game's over. Yeah. <laughs> like it's just like. I'll talk done. about that in a minute too for another game I was playing recently. 
But I think that even games like Mass Effect didn't do as good of a job about making the party feel like a party the way that the Baldur's Gate games did. Mm. Um, yes. Because if, if you were a completionist playing Baldur's Gate, you could not have all the possible NPC party members at one time. Because Correct. they would literally, like if you want the chaotic evil person and the lawful good person, they would not be in the same party together. They just were... They'd they, kill but, each other. Yeah. They might, and somebody might hang around for a little while and then get so fed up with somebody they would leave. Just having that group that felt like a real group was fantastic. And I, I can't yeah. think of any other game that really did as good of a job as those games did for that. Yeah, I would agree with you because even Mass Effect, you can have everybody in it mm. at the end. And where, like, I know for a fact, my one of my favorite NPCs from Baldur's Gate 2 was Keldor, the paladin. And he's like this paladin of Helm. And he does not get along with, like, the dwarf. I just I just said it uh, earlier. Dwarf. Um, <laughs> no, no, not Dwork. <laughs> no, it's uh, <laughs> like his name is like Korgarn or Korgarn. Yeah, he's the evil dwarf. And he or um Vakonia, who's the elven the drow cleric who's also evil. They don't get along with Keldorn and they'll 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 fight each other. Like they'll just they'll be like you need to one of us is leaving and you have to decide and you're like I was trying to remember if the Dragon Age games delved into that. They might have. They might have had something similar, but I don't yeah. fully remember. I don't know. I still feel like you could you could still have everybody like you could still because you even with dragon age origins you could like park them at the the camp you just be like stay here while i adventure which is what Baldur's gate and that's kind of the interesting thing like with the Baldur's gate pc the original game and the the second one it was even worse than the first one if you didn't want somebody in your party they would usually go back to somewhere (laughs) but sometimes they wouldn't and like the original Baldur's gate sometimes they would just leave mm-hmm. and they would they you would no longer be able to have that person in your party mm-hmm. so like it forced you if you wanted to have that person in your party you had to make some tough decisions because you only were allowed six five really because one it has to be you mm-hmm. and it's just kind of like that so zach why don't you talk about dark <laughs> alliance because i know that's what you want to talk about i'm gonna go get a drink <laughs> <laughs> yeah well I, I i definitely watched seth play the original Baldur's Gate, well, Baldur's Gate 2, because um, I, it was at that age where I pretty much only played Sonic the Hedgehog or Chex Quest, the, the Chex serial Doom game that I'm actually wearing a t-shirt of right now. <laughs> for... <laughs> Not a visual medium, my friend. No, 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 yeah. I, 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 I really only play... I really only played Sega Genesis games, and when I was playing PC games, I was playing primarily kid-friendly games, so I wasn't really playing Baldur's Gate. I really liked watching Seth play it. It was kind of what exposed me to things like D&D and just fantasy games as a whole. I mean, I was obviously familiar with the fantasy genre, thanks to my father reading me The Hobbit, but just kind of like the way that games were able to do that, it was introduced to me via uh, Baldur's Gate. I really did like Dark Alliance, though, which I know Seth doesn't like, but I like it probably for the wrong reasons, because it's a very broken game. As I was talking about before we started recording, my favorite thing that you could do in Dark Alliance is if you beat the game, you can import the character that you've just beaten the game with into a new save, dump their entire inventory, take your brand new character, collect that inventory, and sell it at the very first location, which is this tavern, so you can max out your gold in the very beginning of the game and buy relatively high level, high tier weapons at the very beginning of the game. That's no, it's not. That doesn't take place in Waterdeep, though, no. right? It doesn't take place in Water Baldur's Gate. It takes place. No, it does it's take place well, in Baldur's Gate. The beginning part does. You're in a tavern it? in Baldur's Gate. So there's. I'm thinking. I think I'm thinking of um, the Neverwinter Nights game that took mm. place in Waterdeep, where you're in like uh, the Holaster's dungeon. Yeah, because Holaster, the Mad Mage, his 
dungeon is in Waterdeep and Dark Alliance. But it's still a dungeon under a tavern. Like, well, it's no. The so most... you start out in the tavern and they tell you that there are rats in the sewer and you yeah. gotta kill the rats. So you go to kill the rats in the sewer and that leads you into a dungeon where you encounter necromancers. <laughs> Which is pretty much every D&D game. Exactly. But it's, it's great. Also, another fun thing about Dark Alliance is if you are in the last tower, so... The last dungeon of the game is this massive tower you have to go through to fight the final boss. There is a room to enter just before you get to the final boss room where you'll find a sword that is the highest tiered sword in the game in terms of any attack strength, and you can kill the boss in three hits. <laughs> so it is it is the ideal game. And Dark Alliance was more along the lines of like just a tactical kind of fighting kind of like avenger style game right where you just kind of yeah yeah it was kind of, it was it was more of a um action rpg um whereas there wasn't any turn based or anything it was just hack and slash and beat people as much as you can um but it was co-op which was fun um so you could play with multiple people i don't even know was there were you able to level up your character yeah your character so it is like it's an action rpg so your character does level mm-hmm. up and there are stats that you can dump things into but by the time you're at the very end of the game i'm pretty sure you're maxed on all of your stats like i don't think they there's any it's not like most action rpgs that i've played like even in games like even in the elder scrolls games or fallout when you get to the end game your character usually still has wiggle room in terms of what you can do with like late stage stats but like in this you are literally i think at the maximum for everything <laughs> like your guy is just like jacked busted in <laughs> so it is uh it, it does it's not a hard last final final battle for sure i was like one hitting kill people as i like walked through the enemy base it's not, not a good game <laughs> but it is fine well i won't know if necessarily it's if it's a good game it's the, the problem is when you name something baldur's gate and there's simultaneously a game that's called Baldur's Gate on the PC and they are entirely two 100% different products but yet you're trying to sell them under the same banner is just confusing and it's just going to lead people into like you're going to be disappointed and both people are right so the person who's going to enjoy Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance may not necessarily like the deep role play, oh, yeah, yeah, role playing yeah. game and you might be like oh I could get this on the PC and it is not what you think it is yeah I've, and then I have friends, or vice versa I have friends who grew up playing dark alliance because they were like they had ps2s and they didn't have gaming pcs or anything like or they didn't have a pc and then they picked up Baldur's gate via like steam and they're like what is this game <laughs> you know because it's entirely different yeah it's i think it's like that era of time where people where um creators of video games would create two different games for the consoles versus the pc and like it was just like entirely different experiences sometimes the consoles won and sometimes the pcs won in regards to which was the more superior game but like i feel like that kind of like in that same era fortunately i think that we're moving out of that era so when they say like this game is going to be released on multiple platforms it's not this game is going to be released and it's going to be vastly different on multiple platforms like um i remember the spider-man game that came out for the playstation 2 and it also released on the pc and that was really bad (laughs) and it's just like like i was just like why why do it's splitting but now i feel like that that era of time is over fortunately i think developers have learned that they can just make one game (laughs) <laughs> well also also hardware is caught up to what yes, you can do true. so i feel like the name Baldur's gate has made a resurgence lately too um yeah because not only do we have Baldur's gate 3 coming out but we had one of the official adventures for dungeons and dragons recently was Baldur's gate descent into avernus which yes. is really popular and they also remade 
made a version of the board game Betrayal at House on the Hill, uh, Baldur's Gate Betrayal or something like that. Oh, yeah, um, I saw yeah. that. <laughs> like, recently. I was at the store and I saw that. If you've never played Betrayal at House on the Hill, and I know this is a board gaming podcast, right? It's not a game. It's an activity. There's no balance to it. It's just pure chaos. But it is one of the most fantastic things you can do if it's 1 to 2 a.m. in the morning, you're with a group of friends, and you're all mostly drunk. And it is very good fun. I think that if you're playing D&D for a while and you're just too drunk to enjoy it anymore, bust out your copy of Baldur's Gate Betrayal, and you'll have a really good time. It is the silliest thing on in the world. And nice. um, But yeah, Baldur's Gate is uh, around everywhere again. Yeah, I, I did. And same with, I feel like they're also trying to cash in on the Icewind Dale name as well. They're all about the place names lately. They started with Waterdeep and they had two adventures in Waterdeep, then Baldur's Gate and now Icewind Dale. So maybe all, we'll have Neverwinter coming up. It's always the Sword up. Coast. It's always yeah. the Sword Coast. 5 is all they, set there. So Baldur's Gate is a franchise that two entirely different series kind of spawned off as we've kind of joked throughout this podcast uh the ball spawn series and the dark alliance series and the ball spawn series is really the one that is kind of the focus of us even though zachary is dra- dragged into the dark dark alliance as much as he could um like i want to talk about it <laughs> yeah and you may want to explain uh, who ball is because it just sounds really dirty when you say it oh sure yeah i could do that as well ball in the forgotten realms is the lord of murder and at one point in time there was a thing that happened that was called the time of troubles where all the forgotten realm gods came down to earth or uh Farron, and were uh they had some problems and then they were sent back back to the heavens but after a bunch of things happened uh, <laughs> joaquin went missing and ball got murdered however ball predicted that he was going to get murdered so he went around and made babies with a bunch of people. And those babies... That's exactly became... what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's kind of very Zeus, except if Zeus was... Well, I guess Zeus could be a murdering evil person. But, think, yeah, um, he kind of... He, Zeus does kill a lot of yeah. people. He had his moments, yeah. yeah. So Ball's kind of like the Zeus of Forgotten Realms <laughs> who gets whacked. So uh, one of those creatures that spawns from a human is the main character of the ball spawn series starting with baldur's gate the ball spawn series uh starting with baldur's gate was released in 1998 as uh just the baldur's gate and then in 1999 it received an expansion pack tales of the sword coast and then there was a sequel to baldur's gate which was baldur's gate 2 shadows of Am which was released in 2000 and that received an expansion called throne of ball in 2001 i think the coolest part of the baldur's gate series now this is a game that was released in 1998 to begin with was that you could export and import your character into all the other games so you could play and it was one contiguous story that played over i'm gonna say 120 hours the script for this thing is like thousands of pages long the amount of dialogue and all of that in this game and you can play one person throughout the entire thing which is amazing also leads to a lot of failed attempts for me to be like i'm gonna do it again i'm gonna go through from the beginning to the end with one character and it always just doesn't go anywhere (laughs) i'm in siege of dragon sphere which albeit is not true awesomeness these four these two games in the expansion packs were all originally developed by bioware um, which eventually was bought by ea and was published by either interplay who ended up having bankruptcy issues but is currently still around co-publishing games with 3d realms who used to be apogee games or black isle 
who is now a defunct studio who became Obsidian, who is now bought by Microsoft. The original Baldur's Gate game took, according to sources, 90 man years of development and was developed through a team of 60 people over the course of about three years since they started development in 1995. So they've worked a lot of overtime. That's on a lot of crunch. Out. It was entirely a lot of crunch. Um, it was not because not only did they develop the game and the content of the story of the original Baldur's Gate, but they also developed the Infinity Engine as well, along with that. They were actually originally going to call it just Forgotten Realms, but they decided over time that they should create Baldur's Gate. And there were some people within the team that were very, very big fans of all of the current 90s R.A. Salvatore novels that were out and Ed Greenwood and all of those other guys that wrote stuff. And it did draw very, very heavily the original Baldur's Gate on Wasteland, especially the whole philosophy of like you can accomplish the same goal through different ways. So you can either stealth through an encounter, you could talk your way through an encounter, you could kill your way through an encounter. Um, they were very open about you could just murder random people like if you wanted to and still continue to progress through the game. An interesting fact about the game is that of that time period, a lot of games, all the graphics were tile-based and each was the essentially the background of the world was built out into these like blocks and your sprite would walk across these interconnected tiles. Uh, however, Baldur's Gate drew and rendered all of their backgrounds. So not only did that make for a very beautiful game, it just took a lot longer to do and to get it to launch and also involved them reusing somewhat or having very similar simple style like forests and more forests and more forests. And if you played Baldur's Gate, you will remember the forests. <laughs> and because that's kind of, they were just trying to get the game out and trying to fill in filler there. And it was the first game release on that 60-person team, it was the first game for every single one of them to release into market. And a lot of that success of that game was credited due to their partnership between uh, Interplay and BioWare. Now, Theo, do you, do you remember the kind of like the story behind Baldur's Gate? I know you said you had a very vague memories do you remember it's interesting not until i went back and and read some of the old summaries of that uh, i don't have any firm memories i just remember the characters a little bit more the characters are what stuck with me uh, now when we start moving on and talking a little bit more about planescape torment that was a story that stuck <laughs> with me um but i do i mean the Baldur's gate story was i appreciate the fact kind of going back and looking at it now it really dug into a lot of the lore uh, that existed for Dungeons & Dragons in that setting, as opposed to just making something very generic. You know, they chose to take advantage of the pre-existing lore, but it was a fairly convoluted, complex story. Yes, and I think it got more convoluted as you went on. The original game, you kind of started out in, like, this basic kind of library town. Candlekeep. Candlekeep which mm -hmm. is also, I think, getting its own thing or has, was referenced or is getting something written about it. It's coming back. I know it is. I saw <laughs> something, something recently about it. I think it, I think, yeah, there's an Candlekeep adventure, mini adventures, like Yawning Portal. Oh, yeah, of course, the new book. Oh, God, I've already forgotten. Yeah, yes. the next book coming out in a couple of months here is uh, uh, a series of mysteries that takes place in Candlekeep. Yes, nice. which is where this game originates from. Well, your character originates from. And you are the child, foster child of this guy named Gorion, 
who gets murdered in the very beginning of the game by Sarovak. And it's not really a spoiler alert because this game came out in 1998 and it is, happens within the first five minutes. So I'm not, no, no negative fan mail. <laughs> and if you haven't played Baldur's Gate and you don't, it, it's, it's literally the beginning of the story. You just, your foster father dies. And you hang out with your uh, Imowin, who is a early character. And you go on some quests. The initial quests are just trying to figure out what's going on with iron production because the iron ore is... <laughs> bad and breaking which is annoying and it's a really annoying game mechanic like i hate the game mechanic because your iron weapon will just break and i really really hate breaking weapons mechanics in games um and you eventually have to stop saravak who is the guy who killed killed garion it is very meandering and kind of directionless sometimes but is is yeah you're really you're really selling it especially with the whole like gotta figure out what's wrong with the iron production <laughs> the spoiler alert just go play planescape torment <laughs> yes you could just go play planescape torment if you want to read a book and um or baldur's gate 2 which fun fact only baldur's gate 1 takes place anywhere near baldur's gate all the other games take place nowhere near well Somewhat near, but not anywhere near. You never go back to Baldur's Gate after Baldur's Gate 1. Baldur's Gate 2 takes place in Athkathla, which is a city in the country of Am. And it's also known as the City of Coin. And they worship Joaquin predominantly, who is missing. So, which is always fun, because they're like, oh, Joaquin is gone and she'll come back. (laughs) Which is, but the the game is uh, Baldur's Gate 2 Shadows of Am, because it primarily takes place in Am. And Baldur's Gate 2 uh, takes off from a different location. Like, it takes place starting after Baldur's Gate 1, but a significant time where they have a movie explaining what happens and Theo gets confused about, <laughs> thinking that... Well, let me explain this. That was all fair. Um, I went to try to go back and like p- play with these just a little bit before we had this podcast today. So I downloaded... They have an enhanced, new, updated version of Baldur's Gate 2 that you can get that makes it playable on today's computers. And when you load it up, it just gives you three covers. Uh, and they all have subtitles because everything got to have a subtitle in the 2000s. And, and it doesn't really make it clear which what order you're supposed to play them in. And so I clicked one and it just started playing a recap movie and it was a very in-depth recap movie, but it was recap. It ended up be recapping Baldur's Gate One and the story that happened there. I had forgotten that the stories were so closely linked together that, as you said, you can import your character from one to the other the way you did in Mass Effect. Um, not even all that well in Mass Effect, to be honest. But yeah, um, so uh, the whole movie played, and I thought, oh no, I just clicked on the expansion for Baldur's Gate Two, and I just completely ruined the entire story of Baldur's <laughs> Gate Two while trying to play Baldur's Gate Two. And I couldn't even figure out how to stop the, the movie. I didn't escape it or anything. It wouldn't stop. But luckily, I was just spoiling Baldur's Gate 1, which nobody wants to play anyway. Well, I mean, Baldur's Gate 1 for sure is, like, if you want a computer role-playing experience, Baldur's Gate 1 can give it, it to you. It is an experience. Baldur's Gate 2. It is a game that exists. Yeah. 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 Baldur's Gate 2 will give you a better experience. Yeah. <laughs> and this the story for Baldur's Gate 2 revolves around a evil elf named John Irenicus. And he captures you and then kidnaps Imowen. Once again, it's not a spoiler. It happens within five minutes of the game. <laughs> Just like Seraphot killing Orion, John Irenicus will kidnap Imowen. I think one of my favorite iconic moments of that game 
is that moment when you erupt from John Irenicus's dungeon and you're standing there on the rubble and you start fighting John Irenicus and Imwin throws like magic missiles and John Irenicus is like using his powers and then the cowled wizards of Am appear because using magic in Am without a license is illegal. So they are like, we're here to stop you. And there's like eight of them, they show up and... So John Ereticus, who is a powerful mage, just starts murdering them. And he's like, nothing can stop me. I'm invincible. And he just starts throwing stuff around. And the people are like, dude, you need to stop. You are literally breaking the law. And he's like, I don't care. But then all of a sudden, he's like, wait, 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 wait. You're going to arrest me? And they're like, yes. And he's like, well, Immelwyn, she also used magic. They're like, we're going to arrest you all. And he's like, that's fine. I'm fine with that. And then he gets arrested with Immelwyn. That's where the game takes place because all of your characters just stood there and watched this happen while Immelwyn was like, I'm going to throw a magic missile. And that got her arrested and put into wizard prison. And then you have to rescue her from wizard prison and that's where the game goes on you're gonna spend 40 hours doing that and it's amazing it's a tight storyline all of the classes in the game have unique strongholds that have their own subquests and stuff that you can get so you, if you're a rogue you can get a thieves guild if you're a wizard you can get a sorcerer's plane or disc bulb thing if you're a fighter you get a keep cleric you get a room at the temple and a paladin you get a room at the paladin guild hall some of the, the strongholds are lamer than the others but <laughs> they all have their own when you talk about that opening it i remember that i can remember experiencing that that was an iconic moment i wouldn't have remembered it until you described it but now i, I can see that it's and it's the voice acting is on point what's great is john irenicus is the oh he's the butler from the titanic or something like that yes yeah, so the you know the guy oh so the the butler who if you're familiar with the Titanic movie, there's like the, James a, uh, the butler, movie? the James Cameron Titanic Been a little movie. while. <laughs> there's a butler who at the end of the movie he chains leonardo dicaprio to the pipe and then has a gun he's like an evil butler they're all evil they yeah, always the butler always a murderer yeah. yeah well he's the voice of john irenicus <laughs> they should have gotten the butler from the laura croft movies though who was chris barry who is rimmer and red dwarf then i would have been on board but it's john irenicus the evilest wizard around and he's the butler but <laughs> that's awesome though it's 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 a good moment if you watch the titanic movie ever again just remember john irenicus is the butler and i think also that the voice actor they had for the transition scenes with the like the deep booming voice i thought was just really well and like set the pacing of like he was essentially the voice of the dm and it describing like the moments of the game through exposition versus graphics was a way to allow i felt your creativity to kind of blend into the actual game itself i always really appreciated that aspect of it because once again it's an isometric computer role-playing game so you're looking at sprites on a drawn background so you, you can't really experience like ascending through like a, a cave into a shining light like you may in like skyrim or fallout or something like that where you can experience that they don't need to describe that to you but for a game where you're like playing as little sprites that are like maybe an inch tall less than that 
then yeah, you're going to need that additional context to kind of draw you into the story. And I think they did that really, really well in Baldur's Mm. Gate 2. And which I thought was funny was the expansion pack to Baldur's Gate 1. Tales of Sword Coast gave you a little extra stuff, maybe some little cool like super dungeon and stuff like that. Throne of Ball made it like epic and it in fact it made gave you epic levels and it was kind of cool being able to play that super powered character with the ability to do meteor swarm or time stops or those kind of like spells that you just dream about doing as a as a character but Baldur's Gate just gives that to you big fan of Baldur's Gate too as it were so in 2012 and 2013 Beamdog did remaster Baldur's Gate and Baldur's Gate 2 and in 2016 Beamdog released Siege of the Dragon Spear which was a stopgap sequel to Baldur's Gate 1, but prequel to Baldur's Gate 2. It's all right. Um, I haven't played much of it. I played a little bit of it, and it's not good of a story of Baldur's Gate 2, I think. It's kind of like, a, this is what happened in between, and it's about as exciting as that. Theo, did you play any bit of the Siege of the Dragon Spear? Or... I didn't even know that existed until you said it just now. <laughs> no it takes place around another ball spawn, who has a spear that's called the Spear of the Dragon Spear. Oh, well well named. And (laughs) they lead an army and try to fight Baldur's Gate. And you have to be the hero again. And uh, eventually you end up camping and then you get besieged by thieves or people in the night and that gets you into Baldur's Gate too. Mm. It's, yeah, that's kind of how I feel about it. Like just that mm, kind of... (laughs) sensation there mm-hmm. i'm glad that they remastered the games though mm-hmm. it's nice being able to play them uh, you can play it on your phone i i didn't get a chance to see how it works on there i i, I have i think it, clearly you could play it on an ipad i wonder if you could really play it on a phone with any kind of fidelity i i had a friend who beat he beat or got very f- close to beating the original icewind dale on his phone but I think that's mostly due to the fact that he played it during work. <laughs> so. It's just, it doesn't strike me as one of those pick up and play games because when you pick up Baldur's Gate 2, you don't want to sit there and play it for two minutes. Like, you want to dig in and spend yeah. a few hours. I feel like they only put it on the phone because they can. <laughs> you know, it's like, I mean, like, there are a lot of us you know, sitting in the subway for an hour, you yeah, know, true. sitting somewhere traveling uh, on an airplane or something. But I mean, it is great that they also brought these back up because the old game's really just not playable anymore right, uh, yeah. on modern computers right. anyway. And so this is the only yeah. way that we would be able to have access to them at all. I did the jewel case with like five discs or whatever. You had to change the disc out every time you got to the next chapter. It was just like, oh, got us swap the disc out and i was happy because at one point in time i had a computer that had two optical drives mm-hmm. so i could load two discs at mm-hmm. the same time so then i could just tell it to look at the other dr- drive to so i didn't have to change discs anymore as many and, times and yeah. n- now n- no computers need optical <laughs> drives. <laughs> i'm pretty sure that both grady and i still have those discs and i, oh, I saw awesome. grady's has some over there and i'm sure i have mine too yeah i have all those icewind dale yeah i have all that stuff uh, i don't throw anything the, away it's not a good game unless you're opening a book of cds <laughs> to be able to play it oh right yeah <laughs> like, but the enhanced editions are really beautiful oh, so they're like mm-hmm. not only are they running well on modern systems but they're also upscaled 1080p mm-hmm. 60 frames per second the best quality you can get out of out of these games which you know when they came out they weren't capable of doing that so it's it's really cool to see them push to that that limit and the music is fantastic too and they remastered the soundtrack too the orchestral score is amazing for Baldur. it's you could just get the soundtrack for that mm-hmm. and just listen to it i actually um usually get pills of eternity and tyranny were games released by obsidian which are kind of like spiritual successors to the Baldur's gate since a lot of the black isle folks work at obsidian now 
uh, I use their soundtracks to uh, sometimes to be the background noise for D and D games. Oh yeah, like it's their like that. That's that's good for like ambiance noise too because they're mostly all orchestral. Yeah. Um, I I was playing Baldur's Gate on the Switch. I I owned the complete collection for Baldur's Gate and Baldur's Gate Two and all the expansions on the Switch, which I actually think is it's cool. It's a little uh, it probably took me a couple hours to get the control schemes right because you're playing with a joystick and stuff like that. But they do have functionality built in, so you can it makes it a lot easier to drive around with the joystick and it's playable. I think I haven't played it in a while though, so I feel like if I go back to it, I'm gonna have problems uh again getting back into it but it's it works i think we're gonna get to our part where we talk about baldur's gate 3 now so baldur's gate 3 unlike the other two games is actually not finished yet (laughs) it's um currently in early access and it wasn't has been early in early access since at least september of 2020 it's also a, a different game than the previous baldur's gate games during pax east of 2020 which seth and i were in attendance and you can hear about our time there on episodes 12 and 14 of this podcast. It was announced for the first time that the game was going to be kind of a different style of gameplay, more similar to that of the Divinity games, Divinity Original Sin and Divinity Original Sin 2. The reason being is that Baldur's Gate 3 is being developed and published by Larian Studios, who previously worked on the Divinity games. So it would make sense that they're going to adapt their style of turn-based uh, games for this new Baldur's Gate game. Development of Baldur's Gate 3 actually began as far back as at least 2003. Uh, Black Isle was working on a game called The Black Hound, and then Interplay had a little problem called bankruptcy, and that uh, means that they sh- uh, that means that they shuttered Black Isle because they needed to find a way to save money, and the only way to do that was by cutting things out around 2008 interplay actually lost the license to make D games because atari ended up gaining the license from wizards of the coast and then atari would later use that license to create games such as neverwinter nights which i i enjoyed neverwinter nights i thought they were a great game but i really loved the intro to it where they talk about how Baldur's gate sparked a role-playing renaissance but neverwinter nights was going to be a role-playing revolution (laughs) it's a great it's a great marketing like trailer and i recommend watching at least the trailer to neverwinter nights one for some really like dated iconic marketing type deal it's got it's got a great score in the trailer itself and some things that are not going to be in the game ever because they didn't implement them yeah so in uh 2014 larian um, was interested in picking up the Baldur's Gate IP and they approached Wizards of the Coast and said that we would like to make the next Baldur's Gate game. At the time, Wizards was uh, a little wary of Larian, uh, mostly because Larian was a very relatively new company and they wanted the IP of Baldur's Gate to go to a company that they felt they could trust. Um, however, little a few years later, Original Sin 2 was coming out and Wizards of the Coast saw early development stuff for uh, Original Sin 2 and they were actually really impressed by it. So they approached Larian and they said, hey, uh, we see you're working on this new Divinity game. It looks great. Do you want to make Baldur's Gate? You were interested in it before. And Larian said, yes, but let us finish Original Sin 2 first. So they finished Original Sin 2 and then started work on Baldur's Gate 3. And uh, around uh, E3 of 2019, the first initial teasers for Baldur's Gate 3 were released. And it entered early access on September 30th of 2020. For full retail. For full retail price for an unfinished game. (laughs) 
Before we get into Baldur's Gate, I think it's interesting that Wizards license a lot of their products, right? So Wizards does a lot of their tabletop stuff in-house and their Magic the Card Gathering games, but a lot of their video game stuff, they don't trust internally. Well, they don't have the capacity to do internally, so they, they shop that out, which Wizards of the Coast is a subsidiary of a local business to me, of Hasbro, because Hasbro is located in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, which I live close to. They, but Wizards is based in Seattle. But I recently learned while preparing for this podcast that James Olin, as of 2019, is working on stuff for Wizards of the Coast. He had a book that came out. He does have, yes, he does have his book that came out because he has the... Odyssey of the Dragon Lords. He's, he runs an Arcanum mm-hmm. Publishing, his, his publishing house. Well, apparently Wizards started something called Archetype Entertainment as of 2019, and James is running it. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. He says it's a great place where he can relive the good old days of 90s and early 2000s of game development. Oh, good. It looks like that he's also tapped Chad Robertson, who is also another Bioware person, is over there, and he's going to be the vice president and general manager. Hmm. So it looks like Wizards is trying to build the old Bioware team. Because James was the lead designer and creative director of Baldur's Gate, Baldur's Gate 2, Neverwinter Nights, Star Wars The Knights of the Old Republic, Dragon Age Origins, and Star Wars The Old Republic. And then he retired just because he felt like it. But now apparently he's going to go work for Wizards. And I'm very, 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 very excited to see what James pushes out because I'm wondering if this is going to be a pivot where Wizards starts taking back game development in turn in-house and starts pulling that in-house and starts pushing out more regular D or beyond type mm. of games that where they try to push the limit and develop new intellectual properties i'm i'm excited it was good news and if you do want to see him working on an actual dungeons and dragons tabletop rpg like definitely check out odyssey of the dragon lords which was a greek mythology inspired adventure for levels one through 20 that brought a lot of really cool things to the table. And that's awesome. one of the uh, third-party adventures I've really wanted to sit down and run. It brought a lot of good storytelling ideas on how to really tie your characters into the story, which is something that is really difficult for a lot of game masters to do. Mm. Uh, he gives you these heroic quests that tie these people in. If you want to learn more about it, we did a video. You can just Google search Gallant Goblin Odyssey of the Dragon Lords. Uh, it's, a great, it's a great book. Plug, plug. <laughs> plug, plug. I'll, like, I'll cut his mic, cut his mic. <laughs> so Baldur's Gate 3, I think we've been hyping it up enough. Theo, what are your thoughts? I mean, okay, I've only played it for all of half an hour, maybe 45 minutes. It starts off with a just a gorgeous cinematic of uh, a illithid mind flayer ship being attacked by dragons, hopping between planes, going to Avernus. Just awesome looking stuff. As far as the actual gameplay itself... Oh gosh, it when you ask me about JRPGs, I'm feeling like this is going to be a similar situation. <laughs> I had so much just frustration trying to get into playing this game mm. because it's a pretty good-looking game. It feels clunky in places, but of course it's still an early access, so it's kind of expected, but I don't think they're going to get all the clunkiness out of it. I had half trouble like figuring out where the enemies are I was supposed to attack. I didn't want battles to happen because I just wanted to see the stories. Like, oh, don't make me sit through a battle where I have to hurl a firebolt at these imps for half an hour. I don't care. <laughs> like, let's just get through this. Is there an option to play this game without the combat? Because I don't, I'm just not interested anymore. I want to hear the story. I, I want to see these cinematics. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. Let's just make it a movie. Yeah. <laughs> 
and just not the Dungeons and Dragons movie because that's very bad. <laughs> well, James Manganiello is working on one, isn't he? I don't know what's what's happening with that, but um, there's a new one apparently in the works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I definitely. I mean, there's potential there. Um, and I, I haven't played enough to really know. I don't know if I'm going to have the energy to really go back to it. And I'm going to talk about an alternative game in a minute that is intriguing me more than Baldur's Gate Three. Um, but what did you think of it? It seems like you have a stronger opinion than I do. I'm going to say I probably played about twelve hours of it. But I've played it like six hours with two different characters because I'm, I'm not really deep diving deep into the game because I kind of want to save to the playthrough of the game when it actually releases completely. So like my playing of the game is generally like, oh, I want to see how a wizard plays or I want to see how a rogue plays. And then I'll play through the sections and I'll kind of be like, oh, I really like how they did wizard or I did not really like how they did this or something like that. And so I, I've played it. I liked Divinity and Divinity, the original Sin 2. Though I also didn't necessarily, there's something about them where I played a lot of them. I liked them, but I feel like sometimes they're not the best at driving a story. They're like, we got a lot of story here. There's a lot of things to investigate. And then you're like halfway through, I was playing with my friend. I'm like, what are we doing again? I'm like, what, what's the plot? Like, what are we, what are we supposed to do? And I kind of get led astray sometimes with that game. It might be once because of my attention issues or something like that. But I feel like, but in Baldur's Gate 3, I feel like the story is a little more succinct. I just hope that they keep it succinct because when an epic story gets a little meandering you run into situations where like dragon age inquisition or mass effect andromeda i feel like those games for me were too there was too much to do and they weren't able to tell me the story succinctly so i played like maybe 30 or 40 hours i think i played like 40 hours of mass effect andromeda i couldn't tell you what my purpose was with that game and i didn't beat it i didn't get to the end same with dragon age inquisition i think i played like 40 hours of it which is a lot that's a lot of time to sink into a game to then be like i'm done <laughs> like mm-hmm. i it's like i haven't even beaten mm-hmm. it like i've just walked got up and walked away so hopefully with if they put it out with they're gonna have three distinct acts and that they have a story hopefully that it's succinct enough that it carries me through then i'll i'll like it i'll enjoy it i i the combat for me i'm figuring out ways to like cheese it i i I could completely understand like where your complaints are coming from i also uh save scum a lot in that game so like I'm the kind of person that I'll go through and I'll it'll roll a challenge and I'll fail and I'll just load the save game and do it again and again and again. And I'll do that like 15 times before I get something right. And like, I'll have the patience to do that, which I mean, adds to game time, right? And maybe it's something where... So I, I agree. It's kind of uh, in a weird state right now, but I hope that Larian will do right by it. I'm sure it'll be fine. It's, I'm interested to see how they implement the 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons rules into a computer system. Like, that mm. intrigues me. And like, how do you implement various spells? I, I find that interesting. Yeah, if you had told me Baldur's Gate 3 is a game that's so tight you can tell the story in 20 hours I would be so much more on board <laughs> like oh I, I know that agree. nobody else wants that in the world probably except for uh, maybe adults but like give me yeah give me a tight game that's 20 hours it doesn't have meandering side quests or it's not padded out like just a tight good fast-paced exciting story that's what I want 
Yeah. Yeah. I actually would comparing like Pillars of Eternity to Tyranny, I would 100% recommend Tyranny over Pillars of Eternity if you're looking to play like a computer role playing game because Tyranny can be played in 20 hours where Pillars of Eternity, you can put like 60 in. But I feel like the story is like just as good. But like a succinct story is like life incarnate. There is a game. I don't know if you've heard about it. We did mention it before. I don't even remember when, but it was it's called Celasta Crown of the Magister. And it is a early access game, but they are using 5th edition uh, SRD. So they're using the stuff that they can use from 5th edition. And it definitely feels more... Some people even say it feels more Dungeons and Dragonsy than Baldur's Gate. I'm looking when it at comes it now. To like, so it's definitely, if you're interested in like a game that adopts D&D rule set that may be a little more complete. I played about four and a half hours of it and I enjoyed what I played. And it's kind of... Solasta is kind of cool because you generate four characters of your own and you give them essentially personalities and in the beginning intro they are they're all just sitting around an inn waiting for this uh, event to happen but they don't know each other and they introduce themselves and each introduction is a tutorial on how to play that class and they tell them the story of how they all got together and it's it's kind of cool to like be told in that story and i feel like the story changes a little bit depending on and how they talk depending on how their personality is so you can make them like smart and be an aristocrat and they'll talk a little differently than if they're like a little more rugged and stuff like that and uh it's kind of cool going through that i'm picturing a character that looks just like you sitting at the table saying i'm a thief (laughs) (laughs) i'm a thief i don't know sitting down with Baldur's gate 3 too the i think a lot of the time i was playing it when i wasn't watching the cool cinematics i was thinking and this is probably blasphemous to say on a video gaming podcast but like i should just be (laughs) playing dungeons and dragons with my friends That's fair. Like, <laughs> I should be pl- planning my campaign or sitting down with my friends and going through these adventures together um, because it's such a great, <laughs> the only chance I have in life for social interaction anymore. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I should be doing. It's true. But I could also see it as being a great source of inspiration for doing your own campaigns and getting a visual sense of a lot of these places that only exist in our imaginations. Like mm. that look at what Baldur's Gate looks like on a modern computer and an illithid spaceship and the way the illithids behave and move and just like just seeing that i think as a game master can be really beneficial in helping you visualize and explain things to your players yeah no definitely and and i think also like voice acting helps because you'll have professional voice actors pronounce things that we were joking about that we don't know how to pronounce right. because nobody says them in real life like menzo baranzen <laughs> mm-hmm. or various other things that come up in the D world that nobody regularly says um except now as you mentioned that there are now like critical role and all those things where you have uh pseudo professional or professional players um doing actual play podcasts of where they say things but they may not say them correctly or well well wizard now now on D beyond they do have that pronunciation guide as so a pronunciation i guide, assume yes. as it's i think it's matt mercer is a lot of us matt mercer and um they, his wife whose name is eluding me right now marissa ray uh and you can click on each uh word or name and they'll say a lot of them uh so that's a fantastic resource too that's that's funny hopefully they sat down and told them how to do it right (laughs) that's if they didn't they didn't consult with me it's probably wrong fair enough (laughs) fair enough 
I, I was I'll mention now at this point, I don't know if it's a good time or not, but the one game that has been intriguing me lately and that I wanted to sit down and compare Baldur's Gate 3 with was Disco Elysium. Has, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Have y'all played this already? I, I, I own Disco Elysium. Um, that's actually, it's a running theme. I own a lot of games. <laughs> but I, I actually did play Disco Elysium. It is on my backlog, which are games that I'm dedicated to playing. I've played probably... I want to say two hours of it. I enjoyed it. It is more adventure, less role play, in my opinion. I don't know. I haven't played it enough uh, to know, but I'm really intrigued with how... I think it's another great tool for game masters to see how to implement the skills that characters may bring to the table beyond just combat skills. It really goes into social skills, intellectual skills, uh, rhetoric uh encyclopedic knowledge you can choose all these skills for your character and that's a game that i don't think has hardly any combat at all possibly no yeah no it doesn't it's not a lot it's really conversations uh yeah figuring out mysteries persuading people uh discerning lies uh, a lot of this and i think it, it sounds i was really intrigued by the time i played with it uh my character i played for five minutes and he tried to get his tie off of the fan that was rotating yes, the ceiling yes. and he had a heart attack yep. and died and it was game over. And I was like, <laughs> yes. this is an interesting I, game. game. Let me try that, that again. Game is mean. <laughs> Apparently so. But I was just I, like, hmm. I died sitting in a chair for too long. <laughs> so definitely do the save scum. I learned to save scum in that yeah. game. But uh, yes, I you definitely need to. I, I am more intrigued by that one than I am Baldur's Gate at this point. Yeah, I, 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 I like it. It's a fun it's a fun game. I'm also a very, 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 very big adventure gamer. So like I play a lot. I honestly would probably say that my time is split between adventure games and role playing games. And as I get older, adventure games are shorter. So I tend to play more adventure games than I do role playing games because I could play like four, five hour Wajidai games versus one 80 hour obsidian game and like so it's but and still maybe enjoy my time so i definitely like disco elysium was like one of those games i was like yep that's mine and uh i've i've it's on my backlog so it's on my list of games to get back to but i i definitely should get to read more i I should escalate it to get playing to it again it's a it's a really good game we could play it and we can chat about it i think it would be those two games to play at the same time or or at least in in close proximity would be an interesting contrast Baldur's gate 3 and and disco elysium like playing them kind of back to back or at the same time just to compare how they implement different things i think would be very interesting yeah agreed so that's going to be the uh baldur's gate portion of our episode does anyone have any final thoughts about good old baldur's gate or any of the other make sure to play dark alliance (laughs) i was gonna say make sure that you know we talked about Baldur's gate led into a bunch of other series planescape torment was the one i mentioned earlier and i think that's the one that holds it the best over time and there's also a remastered version of that one and that one really explores the multiverse of D&D oh, and cool. it has a lot of the cra- it's it's crazy. I don't even want to spoil anything about this game because the NPCs or the player character party members whatever you call them that you bring into your group are so unique. I remember them to this day. Um, and I remember playing this game. I remember I bought a laptop to play this game because we were going on vacation for 4th of July and we were going to the beach and I needed a computer because I had to play this game. And I bought this computer and took it there and I remember lying on the bed. I was at the beach and I closed myself off into a uh, bedroom and closed the door and didn't even go out to the beach because I wanted to play Planescape Torment. And I remember the feelings that game brought up in me and that's the one I really want to go back and, and play again. That's a fantastic game. Yeah, I definitely need to... I for 
the as much of a like computer role playing fiend that I am, I have not actually beaten Planescape Torment. I should really put it. Don't you go to the Sigil in that game, The I City of Doors? I think so. I think so. Like I feel like you do. I feel like that's the one of the few games that actually represents Sigil as like a in in a in a video game as it were. Mm-hmm. I know I know you start off in like the moratorium but yeah and that once again it's a it's a it's a very good game there is a lot of reading so if you don't like reading you're not gonna like it but (laughs) there is like characters will go on for books and that's where if you're interested in the um uh ties of numenera and any of the monty cook Mm -hmm. stuff that came after that you can kind of that's where some of that got its genesis yes yep yeah tides of numenera also has a lot of reading (laughs) yes it does he they're they're verbose for sure and then they did a spiritual follow-up to that game tides of numenera i think it's called tides of Manera. Is that the name of the video yep. game? Yeah, that came out just like a year or two ago. Yeah, uh, and so that's another one that I've been meaning to dip into. And who has time? You're right. <laughs> I know. But yeah, I, I would I, like I, to see it, but I haven't yet. I, I also own that. <laughs> I kickstarted oh, it. Me too. Well, the, so what happens is somebody says Monty Cook, and I'm like, yes, please. <laughs> oh yeah, I have a whole bunch of Monty Cook, and he he brought Numenera to Five E as well. Um, there's some books out there, so if you want to play it, bring it to yeah. Numenera. Like we're doing videos on those as soon as I can find the time. I love Monty Cook. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's really creative science fiction fantasy post-apocalyptic is amazing stuff so the uh final section that we ended out with is our buy weight pass segment so we will go through games that we're excited to buy weight or pass on so as the ritual persists throughout this pod uh theo do you want to take us away with a game that you are excited about buying waiting or passing on uh sure uh spoiler alert i already bought it um, <laughs> well, that's uh-oh. the best kind. I, I I probably didn't. Um, well, one I figure I can also write it off in the taxes because uh, I'm using it for a podcast where I'm talking about the channel. Um, but one game that I was excited about and I've been kind of sitting on. I was waiting for a long time. Uh, was Subnautica Below Zero. And this kind of goes back to my talk about No Man's Sky earlier and how this is the kind of game I'm kind of digging, just relaxing and enjoying is the survival games where you build up your base and make your character cooler stuff and explore an environment that's beautiful and, and, and just kind of chill out and this game is gorgeous if you've ever played the original subnautica which was free on the epic game store last Mm, year which is where i got it you know you're just you're in an underwater environment you build up your base you explore the area there's a bit of a story involved you kind of go deeper and deeper into this planet um and discover what's really going on there and uh subnautica below zero is a follow-up game by unknown worlds entertainment it's in early access right now over on steam and uh probably other places uh it seems to be close to being completed i don't nothing about it unlike Baldur's gate 3 nothing where the characters' mouths don't move when they talk. <laughs> Sub- the Subnautica Below Zero feels pretty much close to finish to me at this point. I haven't really noticed anything that uh, stands out as being particularly buggy, so it's probably going to be out in the near future. But it's also a smaller game that's easy- more easily accessible. And it's just a gorgeous way to just explore an underwater, beautiful Arctic environment and see pretty fish and kill them and eat them and turn them into flashlights. Um, and build up your base and build submarines and it's just good fun and there's weird alien penguins and who else what else could you want besides weird alien penguins yeah right comparatively to like the og subnautica uh, do you think it because i know this isn't it's its own standalone game 
and it's still single player. Do what do you think the the changes between Subnautica and Below Zero are worth getting Below Zero? I haven't picked up uh, Below Zero yet but i played a lot of subnautica and subnautica was actually one of the few games that have made me jump out in fear (laughs) and nope right out of something where i was like nope i couldn't finish subnautica i think because i couldn't handle just going deeper and deeper underwater like the some the thought of the drowning, I just couldn't handle it, and so I had to stop when I was getting so far deep under. Like I had to bring the submarine down. Like it's like okay, this is too much for me. I can't deal with this scary. anymore. Yeah, it was scary. I don't know if I'm far enough into Below Zero yet to really be able to judge that. Right now, it feels identical to the original Subnautica. I, yeah, I don't notice any real differences besides the environment. Um, but it's also been a hot minute since I played the original, so I, I might be just you know, wistfully remembering and there's thing innovations here. Because again, I've only played about, you know, 45 minutes of this. Mm, of right. some oh, the one thing I will say, I was having trouble with the save game on that and might have some, some unique thing to do with my computer. But for these games, you don't really want to lose progress. It's very frustrating. Right, so yeah, yeah. it may be worth just waiting until it comes out. It's full price right now anyway, so there's no real reason to get it in early access. Um, so, you know, if I was not buying it, for the podcast, I would probably say wait on it until it comes out. So it's a good one to wait on because there's no reason to get it now. But uh, it looks good, fun. If you like Subnautica, I mean, why not? If you want it, this is more Subnautica. Excellent. Uh, so I'll just follow up with a, a game that I've been playing. It's in early access. Uh, I've been playing a little bit of it. It's not, it's a demo. It is Timberborn and it's being developed by Mechanistry, Mechanistry, and it is a building survival game that's very similar to Frostpunk in regards to having some sort of detrimental condition that you have to overcome regularly. And except instead of being humans, you are beavers. And you live alongside this river that you go through wet season and dry seasons. And when it's dry season, the whole river dries up and you need water to live. Uh, it's an interesting kind of mechanic. Not only the, the dry and wet season kind of interesting, but the way that you can build in the game, you can like stack stuff on top of themselves so you can have like solid structures that you can then build more structures on top and you have to you can build stairs and the way that they do power is kind of cool so you have to build like a water wheel that you can then connect with wooden poles back to where there's a power source and you can power like a carpenter shop and a baker's shop and stuff like that and it's really cool destructible environment where where you destroy tiles so it's all like tile base and every tile has like different assets on it and you can blow up the tiles to lower them down because it's like a like a multi-tier tile kind of like a cake and you can blow it away and you can get water into like lakes and stuff like that and you can expand the water from the river bringing it further and the water has a radius of life that it gives to it and everything else that's not near the water is dead so if you want to have like more trees to gnaw down with your beavers you have to get water closer and closer to those trees to bring them life or build like water towers and stuff like that but in the dry season it's very difficult to maintain that so that's timber born it's uh i'm i'm gonna put it down as a wait 
but tilting towards buy since I like games like Frostpunk, which has like the heat and cold element. And it's just like an interesting, fun take on a like a building game that I've I've kind of been getting into my mind. But by the time that this podcast comes out, Nebuchadnezzar will have released, so I'll be wicked happy. And these are anthropomorphic beavers, okay? Yeah, they're just beavers that like go to work. <laughs> they're beaver people. Yeah, I was looking at the thing, and I'm like, they're building yes. buildings and reservoirs. Like, oh, okay, this is not what I yeah. was anticipating. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> They're, they're just like um uh, they're like so the game is like if all humans died then beavers are left to do things and but they're but smart they evolve, they're, right? they're, yeah. yeah they're just evolved beavers that just go out and do things how did you like uh, frostpunk is one of those games that i've been meaning to pick up you like that one a lot i take it uh, yeah i like frostpunk i uh it's it's hard um there's some games that i like to think i like and then i'm very bad at and then kind of get frustrated with playing them the total war series is one of those type games where i think that i'm going to like total war and then i'm really bad at conducting armies and die miserably every time and then i get frustrated uh frostpunk is like border on that um it's tough but it's like an enjoyable tough where it's it's fun um it is very, very frustrating if something bad happens and your entire thing, like everybody just dies. It's just, especially if you built so much into it. But it, it is a cool, it's a, it's just graphically very pretty as well. Um, I think that it, it really lends to being like really, really like just that, if you like that steampunk type of style, then you'll you'll probably like the Frostpunk style because it's very steampunk bordering like diesel punk type of uh, technology. And it's just kind of cool diesel punk and snow type of feel to it, which is which is fun. It's tough. It's it's a it's a hell of a game. So my byway pass is a little different from both of your guys by weight passes because mine is actually a piece of hardware it's not software so it's kind of unique to classic gaming brothers usually we talk about software but it is kind of retro so that's why i am throwing it on here but it's um it's this thing called the commander x16 which is an in-development computer by david murray who is also known as the 8-bit guy on youtube the purpose of the x16 is to be this quote-unquote new 8-bit style computer for the modern era. The idea is to create a completely new computer system that runs Commodore Basic without using something like emulation or FPGA, which is field programmable gate array, which is a form of hardware emulation. So his team is uh, currently planning and aiming to have an inexpensive system, potentially being around a hundred or so dollars or less if they can find a way to mass market it. And I've been playing around with the emulator that they have available through their website to try to play around with some games and doing some basic programming. And it's uh, so far pretty cool. It's a neat little device. I think they're also potentially planning on selling it as a kit, which I'm, I'm interested in. I do like electronics and I like building kits so if they do end up selling it as a kit i would love to buy it as a kit it would probably be a even more inexpensive option if you have to build it yourself but um that's kind of the fun is building something and figuring out why it doesn't work because you didn't solder something correctly but it looks really cool i I like the idea that it's it's this new device that is doing something that you could easily just do if you use an emulator or buy something that like runs like has a commodore 64 like just buy a commodore 64 right but it's this this whole idea of this guy david murray really wanted to make his dream computer and now that he has the resources and some of the talent behind it he's he's doing it i only have it down as a weight because 
there is no given timeline for when this thing is going to be finished. It's mostly a hobby between all these people working on it. So they're working on it kind of on their own time. They call themselves a, a non-for-profit because they're just looking to do this to get it out there. They're not really, they don't have a deadline. They don't have anyone like really crowdfunding this. So um, when it's done, it's done, I guess, is the, is their logic. And I will follow along the path of progress and we'll see what it's like when it comes out. And But probably we'll pick it up depending on, you know, variety of factors, especially if they can keep the price under 100. I think that's a lofty goal, but I would... I would prefer something under uh, under a hundred. Well, that's because you're cheap. It is because I'm cheap. I'm not afraid to admit that. <laughs> but um, I do love retro game systems and retro computers and uh, programming in BASIC. My first computer ran off cassette tapes. Oh yes, <laughs> which to me still seems like magic. I don't understand how you put a tape in a machine and you hit play and then you type in like execute and it works. I don't understand how that process works but it it's, did it's, and it was magical beautiful. i love that <laughs> ours was a uh, a word processor uh, barely was our a computer, first, but yeah. <laughs> which was barely a computer and then we had a uh, 486 with windows 3.11 that was like my fifth computer mine was a mine was a tandy you know it's a uh, radio shack tandy computer was it a trs80 i don't remember what model it was i check it was it was the when they first introduced this brand new concept called a floppy disk and oh, yeah. uh the, but it was an upgrade quarter, we, yeah yeah five and a quarter yeah it was the first five and a quarter one but we couldn't afford that so we didn't get that upgrade we just had the old style cassette tape so with with that first off i want to uh thank theo for coming on to our show uh theo represents the gallant goblin which you can find on youtube uh he has a youtube an instagram a discord now a new discord um, and I'm pretty sure a Twitter and maybe a Facebook, probably a Facebook. Yeah. Everywhere. All the social medias. We're in all the places. Pretty soon we're going to be starting up a Twitch thing where I don't know what Twitch. I'm going to do. That might be my you excuse. You play games with us. Yeah. That might be my excuse to actually play some video games. Um, yeah. We also have a Twitch. You follow us on Twitch. We don't Twitch very often, as you may know, because we don't send you any notifications. I, I, um, I you Twitch more than I do. I've never, I haven't gotten into it yet, but I'm working on it. Uh, one of my good well, friends, Michaela, works for Twitch, and so she's supposed to hook me up and tell me how to do it. Um, but I have high hopes. Oh, good, <laughs> perfect. I have high hopes as well. I, I feel that um, I, I think what's the Gallon Goblin is a great resource um especially if, if you are um a DD or have any interest in DD, uh you may be listening to this from watching the gallant goblin we appreciate you coming over here to listen to this episode we ask if you did listen to this episode check out some other episodes but if you're listening if you're a cgb fan and you are listening to this episode go check out the gallant goblin if you have any interest in any uh, in role playing at all or if you just i, I like it once again the most methodical <laughs> youtube videos on the internet <laughs> the gallant goblin it's great i love it very i actually um I, i'm gonna i'm gonna feed theo's ego a little bit here feed me i told <laughs> i told one of my players or one of my well he's the dm right now but he's part of my D group this was maybe right when i initiated the original email i said oh i'm gonna have theo from the gallant goblin or on our podcast he's like you're gonna have theo from <laughs> like he's like i love the gallant goblin it's great which i mean I'm, maybe at one point in time i told him to watch the gallant goblin <laughs> I, I i have honestly have no idea why i started watching the gallant goblin but i mean i do and it's great they are really well done you guys just knock it out of the park even when you were doing it from your airbnb it just <laughs> feels oh, like very professional it's just a 
really, really well done. I, you guys definitely will. I, I feel like you guys are like at the beginning of something that's going to be really, really great. With Classic Gaming Brothers, we're pretty much at the plateau. This is pretty much what we got. This is where we're going. <laughs> Just straight on through. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. It, every day here feels like we're flying by the seat of our pants. Just trying to get from one little thing to the next. And so... Uh, hearing that uh, means a lot. I really appreciate that. And, and yeah. you know, hope your listeners will, will stop in and say hi. And it's a great little community, too. Even just getting into the Discord that we just started up, there's some really great conversations, people sharing the things that they've made and they've painted, um, stories they've written. Um, there's some really good people there. And we don't have to delete hardly any YouTube comments, which is amazing. Oh, that's uh, awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it's a, it's a good, it's a it's a really good community. I, I, I've liked the chatter so far. It's actually one of the few discords that I actually check in regularly. So and I try to read most of the conversations, which is I'm part of a lot. And I generally yeah. ignore them. I'm not a really I, as much as I love discord. Like I've been on it since it launched. I'm really bad at being like a community discord person. <laughs> um, so I but I, I do really like the community of Gallant Goblin. I feel like I could say something there and they people listen and appreciate it and so yeah if you want a really cool community you want really good videos check out gallant goblin 100 subscribe to them follow them just subscribe and follow if you even if you don't like dnd just do it just because we said so we'll, we'll get you um, we'll, we'll make you like it there we go that's <laughs> whether right. you want to yeah, or not that's right it's good stuff <laughs> that's right everybody should enjoy it it's it's good it's good it's re- it is re- honestly really good stuff um thank you very much so you're welcome and thank you for uh spending uh probably one of our longest episodes yet <laughs> yeah. which is great which is good i mean it was a good it was a good conversation and i really enjoyed having you on um hopefully we will collaborate in the future so with that uh we're gonna do our own little thing here do you want did you do the call day do you want well, i don't know i'll do it all right this is where i take a nap all right so if you want to listen to us Get in touch with us and support us. There's plenty of ways to do that. If you want to listen to us, you're already listening to us. So there you go. Uh, Though, if you want to tell people how to listen to us, such as all of the Gallant Goblin fans who are going to be listening to this episode and you want to spread it around, spread uh, spread the classic gaming brother love, then... (laughs) That sounds weird. Uh, (laughs) They ball spawn? They are ball spawn. (laughs) Just like ball spawn. Classic gaming spawn. Uh, Brother spawn. You can listen to us via any of the podcasting applications out there. It's Spotify, Amazon, iTunes, etc., etc., etc. We are on all of them. Even the smaller ones out there, um, you know, we're there. If there's a podcasting application that we're not on, and you make us aware of it we'll make sure to be on it uh, as best as we can and that's a classic gaming promise if you want to uh, reach out to us you can do so by going to our website classicgamingbrothers.com and going to the contact form page Um, on that contact form you just type in all your information it will go magically through the internet over to our email inbox because it's pretty much just works as an email redirect so you can also email us uh classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com or classicgamingbrothers at classicgamingbrothers.com because that's the best email (laughs) ever and uh we will be in touch with you if you send us an email you'll also enter in a chance to win a free video game and potentially the announcer of our christmas special will record a message on your home answering machine and not just your your voicemail box, like for your cell phone. We will find a way to get the micro cassette recorded and sent out to you for your ancient 1970s home answering machine. That's a classic. Actually, we'll promise. mail you one of those too. We'll just mail you a home answering machine. I'll go to Savers. I'll buy a home answering machine and uh, find a cassette for it. Good, We're good to go. Uh, if you want to support us, there's plenty of ways to support us. You can uh, go to all of our different 
um, you know, social medias. We are on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. Facebook and Instagram are Classic Gaming Brothers. Twitter, we are CG Brothers Pod. Um, so like us, ring bells, subscribe, do all those things. We're also on Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash Classic Gaming Brothers. And we're also on YouTube, but we don't really do a lot of stuff there. So I don't know why I remind people, but <laughs> we are on YouTube. If you want to give us a subscription, you can bring us up to the high 20s. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you could also, uh, another great way to support us is just by telling people about the podcast. Tell three friends. Uh, because if you tell three people, that means you like something. If you tell more people, it means you don't. And uh, you could also go to our website and go to our store. And we have a t-shirt for sale and a mug. <laughs> it's great. I think that's everything. So, uh, Seth. Uh, is there anything else you want to add? Don't play games like my brother. And don't play games like my brother. I've been Seth. And I've been Zach. And I've been Theo. And we've been the Classic Gaming Brothers and Theo. That's... And Theo. <laughs> That's right. I was going to say, you guys, oh, you should whack me for that. I just, I'm overstepping my boundaries. That's the first time in, in 65 episodes that I've overstepped my boundaries. Yeah, I do it all the time. Yeah, I know. That's he, just all uh, I he's do. Bad. It was, that's he's bad. That's why I'm the younger brother, because I overstep boundaries. Boundaries are I made to be overstepped. <laughs>